Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you in part by Growmark FS. For over 95 years, we've led the game. Power, we restored it. Protection, we reinvented it. Record yields, we redefined it. If there's one thing we know at FS, it's that just because something hasn't been done doesn't mean it can't be done. We're never satisfied unless we take your farming operation to the next level. Run your equipment at peak efficiency and bust the bins this season. Visit fssystem.com. The views and opinions of this program are those of the host, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, we saw the soybean complex find a little bit of strength on Thursday. We got new updated numbers from Conab ahead of the December WASDE report from USDA that's coming out Friday morning. We also saw a fairly decent week of active export sales across the board. We're going to talk about all that and more coming up here today on Market Talk. Thanks for joining us on the program. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. We have a lot to get to on the show today. Uh, we saw the grains, uh, again, mostly higher, uh, led by soybeans mainly, although wheat uh, found a little bit of uh, buying mid-session as we uh, stopped the SRW uh, flash sales to China, but still uh, watching that market closely as it's been on an uptrend. Corn largely just kind of trading a little bit around unchanged to slightly higher on the day. Meantime, more volatility in the cattle market. We have a lot to uh, talk about. We're going to look at markets coming up later in the show with Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor at Total Farm Marketing. He will join us for a conversation. Coming up before that, in segment two, we're going to discuss the latest global animal protein outlook for 2024 and discuss some of the volatility in this cattle market in general. Lance Zimmerman, Senior Animal Protein Analyst at Robobank, will join us for a conversation coming up here in just a few minutes as we get to segment two of today's program. First up, though, let's uh, take a look at some of the market action and get a few thoughts and analysis from Ryan Moe of Stone X. I talked to Ryan around midday on Thursday as we discussed some of the uh, upward move in the soy complex, kind of leading things on Thursday. We also touch on uh, energy's crude oil, specifically uh, breaking below that $70 mark. Again, the volatility remaining in crude. We talk about the grains and the energies. Here is that midday commentary from Thursday with Ryan Moe of StoneX. Feels like we've got a lot of preparation for the big report that comes out on Friday. Conab released their numbers earlier this morning, and they did cut their production by a little bit over 2 million metric tons. But we have to consider that they cut it from 162 million metric tons to 160. It's still a giant number, and it's the biggest crop on record for Brazil. And so when we see bullish figures like this, we need to take those bullish figures with a giant grain of salt because we're still dealing with some very, very large production numbers out of Brazil. And it also looks like Argentina is going to come roaring back with a very, very nice production year as well, considering the progress and crop conditions that they are seeing down there. 
Well, looking at a little bit of a rally in soybeans, corn's kind of quiet. We've seen, of course, Chicago wheat's rallied the last few days on those SRW sales to China. Are we seeing a lot of farmers selling of rallies right now in the grains, or should we be looking to sell some of these rallies, Ryan? We're seeing extremely limited farmer sales. Uh, Yesterday, when the corn market traded to the 40-day moving average and then just turned on a dime and started trading lower after it hit that figure, that really slowed down any momentum that we had as far as farmer sales that were being generated. This is likely to be bullish for a local basis, but the board is going to have to really figure out if and how it is going to trade above that uh, 40-day moving average that they ran into yesterday if they want to generate some bullish momentum. Is that going to be in the report tomorrow? I'm not sure. Over in the energy market, crude oil has been uh, collapsing a little bit as well here, uh, getting below 70 again. Any notes on the energy front? Yeah, I'd have to say that this is probably one of the more extreme by the rumor, sell the fact circumstances I've been a part of in a very long time. OPEC cut production, as expected. The market kind of bid itself up before that uh, before that meeting took place last week, and it has traded nothing but lower since then. We're marginally higher today, but I can only say that it feels like a dead cat bounce trade. It was crude oil only trading up $0.12 cents right now. I can't be confident that this market is going to close in the green. And once again, that was Ryan Moe from Stonex uh, during our midday commentary on Thursday, uh, just ahead of the noon hour. We talked with him filling in for Arlen Suderman of Stonex on Thursday's uh, midday commentary. We do appreciate his time and thoughts. We did get some export sales on the uh, Daily Wire announced on Thursday morning. Soybeans to unknown destinations, 121,000 metric tons. Couple that with a fairly active week of export sales across the board. We uh, saw USDA release uh, net sales of 51.6 million bushels of corn, 55.8 million bushels of soybeans, and 12.8 million bushels of wheat on Thursday's uh, weekly export sales report. Uh, So that is something we're going to keep an uh, eye on here is uh, watching the export front here, trying to find a little bit of uh, momentum there. On the livestock side, though, we did get uh, the beef net sales uh, marketing year low, 200 metric tons for the November 24th through 30th period. Uh, That was down 98% for the previous week. So a rough week on the beef side as uh, the three largest buyers uh, were Japan, Mexico, and China. We saw, I believe, some net reductions in there too. So it's just not a good week on the beef uh, export sales front. On the pork side, 25,900 metric tons, up 23% from the previous week but down 14% for the prior four-week average. The top three buyers, South Korea, Mexico, and Japan. And so um, looking at this livestock market, more volatility there on the day Thursday, as I mentioned. This cattle market just can't seem to find some footing. I know we're going to talk about that more coming up here uh, with Lance Zimmerman of Rombo Bank, and then we'll talk about it as well, I'm sure, with Brian Doherty from Total Farm Marketing later in the show. Looking at the weather front here, uh, watching a system uh, work out of Canada here as we head into the weekend, uh, maybe dropping some scattered rain and snow showers uh, through parts of the northern plains into Friday and uh, could see some decent accumulations and strong winds in some spots. That system going to work its way into the Midwest uh, where we're going to be watching this cold front 
work through Friday and Saturday with some slightly cooler temperatures, potential for widespread precipitation, uh, even some accumulating snow in there. I know the models have lowered their expected precip for parts of the uh, eastern Midwest, uh, and that will be less likely to help out with the current drought situation. But still, we're watching this uh, weather maker move through here as we head into the weekend. Temperatures expected to rise well above normal again next week across much of the uh, upper Midwest, which will be a common theme for most of the month of December. South American weather Continue to watch the model runs in Brazil and Argentina. Brazil, some areas of the central part of the country, continue to see lower rainfall amounts, though showers continue throughout much of the region, and coverage continues to be below normal, but largely sufficient for developing soybeans. Southern states continue to deal with too much rain uh, as waves of heavier showers have moved through here this week. Argentina scattered showers will continue to move through the region through next week with a couple of systems moving through. Conditions, though, still largely favorable for planting and developing corn and soybeans in Argentina. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about the latest global animal protein outlook for 2024. We'll discuss a little bit about the cattle market, I'm sure, as well. Lance Zimmerman, Senior Animal Protein Analyst at Rumble Bank, joins us next here on Market Talk. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Joining us now on the program as we discuss the new global animal protein outlook for 2024 out from Rabobank and discuss what's happening in the protein sector as a whole. Lance Zimmerman, Senior Animal Protein Analyst at Rabobank is with us. Lance, great to have you back on the show. Hope you're doing well. Hey, thanks, Jesse. Certainly am. Happy holidays. Appreciate you taking the time to be with us here today. Lance, let's dive in and first talk about this global animal protein outlook 2024 out from Rabobank here just a few weeks ago. And uh, for starters, uh, just give us some of the uh, the top highlights here. What are the what are the big two or three takeaways that you guys found with this latest protein outlook? Yeah, I think as we look across the entire landscape, uh, both all three, well, really even four, if you include aquaculture, major protein species, beef, cattle, uh, pork, poultry, and then, like I said, even aquaculture, you know, we're in a situation where across the globe, animal protein production is going in 2024, but it's really going to grow on the back of a lot of the aquaculture side. As you look at it, aquaculture and even poultry are, are showing some growth across the species, while beef, pork, and wild catch type seafood are down. And obviously, as we think about it from a U.S. perspective, we would have some similar um, opportunities that we would see in the marketplace here. Beef and pork production are going to be down, while poultry is likely to be up. And then seafood and aquaculture, not quite as big of an industry here among North American producers, but certainly seeing that trend. And so overall, I would say production growth is in a, a slowdown mode, even though it's growing, it's much slower. And I think some of that is due to some of the environmental challenges that we're certainly seeing here in the U.S., Jesse, uh, as mm -hmm. we think about the beef production decline that's facing us in the U.S., that decline is so significant that as we go forward, not just this year, but the next several years, 
the decline in beef is going to be enough to absorb any increases that may come out of Australia or Mexico or even Brazil. Well, thinking about the U.S. here, too, as well as part of this report, I, I know looking at not just that beef uh, cycle, but also poultry and pork, I, I know in the case of poultry, we've had a lot of issues with HPAI. So I wonder if anything like that was taken into account when you guys looked at this uh, latest protein outlook here for the U.S. Lance. No, that's certainly a, a factor that needs to remain in the back of our minds. You know, as you think about U.S. Uh, broiler production, we've been pretty fortunate in that high path avian influenza um, has really, by and large, uh, not influenced that segment uh, of the U.S. protein business as much. It certainly could, but the shorter production intervals of, of meat-type broilers in the U.S. have allowed those birds to be uh, less affected, relatively speaking, compared to egg layers, which clearly uh, we've seen some challenges over the course of the last several years with high-path avian influenza and turkey per uh, time horizon. But I think many of your listeners will note that as they they perused the grocery store and, and, you know, I'm hoping most of your listeners were getting prime rib instead of turkey. But let's say they were getting turkey. They'll notice they had plenty of options and at a much cheaper price point than what they would have seen a year ago during the holidays. And so as we look at that going forward globally, that certainly has to be a factor, especially as we enter this winter season where we know we're going to have more uh, migration patterns getting awoken again as we have the seasonal changes among us. And that certainly means a threat within the U.S. market. But I think the one thing that's unique as we think about the U.S. market and growing broiler production, a lot of that's very similar to where we were at the beginning of 2023. Broiler producers were anticipating much tighter beef production, and so they really ramped up broiler production at the start of 2023. The challenge was beef production didn't decline at the start of 2023 as much as it did the second half of 2023, and so their margins tightened. Uh, their, their margins were quite negative, really, to start the year. We've seen an improvement in that as we've worked through the year. Um, but we're still talking about a two to three percent production increase, or I should say total supply increase on the broiler side for next year. Conversely, both beef and pork per capita supplies are currently being forecast for next year to be down three to four percent uh, and all, even bigger uh, percentage changes relative to the five year averages, uh, six to seven percent decline in pork against the five year average and four to five percent for next year when we look at the beef side. With this being a global report, we were looking at the U.S. there. I want to ask you about some global points as well. And I think the biggest one that always stands out to me is what's happening in China, Lance. I, th I feel like we talk about China quite a bit uh, when it comes to agricultural commodities and, and proteins, etc. What are some of those China numbers looking like as they battled their own share of diseases and their pork herd and more? How are things looking for China as we get into 2024? Yeah, that's a great question. As we look at what's happening in China right now, and really I would lump not, not just China into this category, I would say much of Southeast Asia, uh, whether that's China, Japan, Korea, Vietnam, uh, what we're seeing is um, in the U.S. as we came out of the pandemic, we saw this huge resurgence in food service demand. Uh, we saw the same thing in all the other major Western economies, Europe, the US, uh, everybody was in the same boat. That as the restrictions eased and as confidence in the virus um, 
and its its ability to our confidence in our own ability to survive and thrive in spite of it, business boomed. That's not been the same in China uh, and and other Southeast Asian countries. In fact, if you think about it, really, China only started getting out of their post-COVID restrictions a year ago right now. But what we're seeing as we look across that that space is we're not seeing the aggressive resurgence in business travel. We're not seeing an aggressive resurgence in food service at near the degree we would have seen in the Western economies. And so that's certainly spilling over and affecting some of this. And I think in addition to that, um, you have to factor in the fact that we have really aggressive inflation rates. Um, you know, certainly as we look at Japan and China, their consumer inflation hasn't been quite as aggressive as what we've seen in the U.S. and European Union or even Brazil or Australia. Uh, but they've still seen a situation play out where their inflation in 2023 and 2024 was 5 to 10% above where it was in 2019. And so there's some compounding effects when it comes to the inflation side of the equation and also just a general struggle with higher protein prices. And we all know beef, obviously, being quite high uh, here in the U.S., but really when we look at it on a global basis, whether it's beef, pork, or even poultry, all of those numbers are sitting here 10 to 15 percent higher uh, than where they were pre-COVID levels. And so all of those things can weight down some of the export potential that's in the market. Lance, we've had a pretty volatile couple of weeks here in this cattle market. Uh, talk to me about what you're seeing right now with the uh, cattle futures and this uh, market outlook in general. We're in a situation where on the future side of the market, uh, there's a there's a lot of capitulation going on right now. Folks just trying to figure out up from down, left from right. Um, is this a supply signal? Is this a demand signal? Um, what's going on? And, and I think at the end of the day, um, we have a market that it's gone through a really aggressive rally. And then it's been handed uh, one punch after another over the course of the last 45 days in particular. It started with cattle on feed reports showing the market that perhaps there's a little bit more front end supply out there that it wanted to believe as it really drank the Kool-Aid of an idea of tighter supply, herd rebuilding and the like. And the bottom line is it never materialized. In fact, not only do we have exceptionally strong heifer slaughter and heifers on feed. But as the fall run of calves reached market, uh, we didn't slow down heifer liquidation from the, the cow herd during the fall run. We've seen a high percentage of heifer calves entering sale barns as well. And so that was the first leg lower. The second leg lower from a pure fundamental standpoint is the box beef market just hasn't performed. Uh, it's been languishing uh, in that 290s area. And what we have to remember is, as we look back to late May and July, uh, we had a cutout that was up near 320. And so really, the cutout's been stuck in a downtrend since the second quarter highs. And so from a purely fundamental standpoint, and we'll, we'll let all the conspiracy theories rest for another day, but from a purely fundamental standpoint, there's been a lot of challenges thrown at the market let alone all the other outside fundamental factors at play as well with the turmoil uh, overseas, uh, the, all the geopolitical unrest in the Russian-Ukraine conflict, the Israeli conflict and the like. And I think the market, quite frankly, is, is just looking for an opportunity to put some money on the sidelines and reassess everything. My biggest message to producers through all of this is let's follow the cash market. 
Let's allow the the market to kind of get on solid footing. Let's see how the cash cattle and beef trade, and hopefully this market will prove itself uh, that it can once again get some green in the board and, and continue to build a, a bottom and then work towards a stronger market as we look towards spring of 2024. Lance Zimmerman with Rommel Bank. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Jesse. All right, up next, Brian Doherty with Total Farm Marketing. Back with more Market Talk right after this. Your local FS is member-owned, and that means when you buy our flagship brands like FS Envision and FS High Soy, you're actually buying seed from yourself. And you wouldn't sell yourself anything but the best, would you? In field after field, FS brands are out yielding the competition. Talk to your local FS crop specialist about Envision corn or high soy soybean seed today. At harvest, you'll be glad you did. Envision and high soy are available exclusively at your local FS member company. Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, as we wrapped up Thursday trade action, we had a pretty decent day across the grain and oil seed sector with soybeans and soybean oil leading to the upside. Uh, found a little bit of support once again in the wheat complex as well, even though we didn't have any flash sales of SRW wheat to China on Thursday morning. Corn was okay as well. A little bit more uh, trouble in the cattle market, though, it looks like. We're going to talk about things. Joining us here for market analysis, we welcome in Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor at Total Farm Marketing. Brian, good to catch up with you again here this week. And uh, that grain trade uh, fared all right on Thursday. I know weekly export sales were somewhat active again. Uh, we mm -hmm. got a flash sale of beans in there Thursday morning as well. And overall, not a bad day across the grain complex. Yeah, not a bad day. You know, the interesting thing is yesterday we had a really good start to the day and then a poor finish. And it's like, oh boy, here we go. We're going to open the floodgate. And now we kind of bounce back here. So so it's it's a trader's market. Sell the rallies, buy the dips. But as you said, pretty good export sales number again today at 50, over 50.7 million bushels of the um, of the old crop. Uh, and that is... Um, that's encouraging because, you know, it's it's just a number. But if you said, well, if we did that every week, that'd be what two point five billion bushels of corn. So, so, um, so good number today. Um, I like the uh, the turnaround in beans. There, they're volatile, and, and and expect that given the weather developments that are or aren't happening in South America. So, we're getting to that. We kind of talked about it all year. All fall, we don't want to get too far over our skis in the weather market. But once you kind of cross over in December, especially around the 15th, all bets are off. Volatility picks up typically after the December, excuse me, the December supply and demand report. Beans do have a tendency to, to hold together or rally toward the end of the year and into the early part of January. And it looked like the traders were kind of jumping ahead of that, taking advantage of uh, yesterday's dip. Yeah, and I know as well, you mentioned the December Wasdy report, of course, we have that in front of us on Friday. Conab out with their numbers uh, early on Thursday morning. It looked like they made a, a few cuts, and I think that also maybe played in a little bit to the soybean trade on Thursday, Brian. It did. You know, when you look at things on a static level, it's a cut, it's a reduction. And whether you think that, you know, the Brazilian crop is off 3 million metric tons or 4 or 5, the, the reality is, at least according to the USDA, we're still uh, 
more crop than last year. Last year was a record crop. So Brazil is more crop. Argentina should rebound. Paraguay probably picks up a million metric tons. You kind of add all that together and the world might see well more than a billion bushels additional soybeans compared to last year. That's a lot of conjecture. Now, um, keep in mind you have to produce those crops. So that's why weather gets really sensitive right now because weather is your most dominant factor, 10 to 1 versus anything else. And we're entering into a window when it really matters. I would still classify Brazil as a whole as good, not excellent, off to a somewhat less than ideal start. Well, in the case of this soybean market specifically, I know, you know, not too long ago, we were trading up around 14. We lost about a dollar and kind of hit that $13 mark. And uh, since then, we, we've bounced a little bit here off 13 uh, on Jan beans and March beans, 1330-ish at the close. Uh, should farmers, uh, are we looking to, if they haven't done soybean marketing, I know a lot have, should they be looking to sell some of these rallies here at this point? I mean, what do you think when you look at that soybean chart right now? Yeah, so here's what I see when I look at the soybean chart. I see one, I see what's called a head and shoulders formation. And that has a downside projection on the March soybeans back to about 1275 um, or lower. When I say or lower, sometimes when the market moves, it picks up a little more momentum. Uh, we're at 1330 right now. Um, so I would be somewhat concerned that the market has some downside technically. Now, today was a really good looking technical day in the sense that we were lower, finished nicely higher. Outside range means the range was bigger than yesterday and a really firm close. So good signal to buyers. The 200-day moving average is holding. But I'm concerned that if South America weather is adequate or good enough, there's not going to be any real strong reason for any end user to chase our market right now. I think that chase has already happened here over the last six weeks. So that's my concern on the bear side. So if you're light on sales, um, recognize that a dollar down off the high isn't great, but that the March contract, as an example, March contract low came last June and we were down at 11.25. Mm -hmm. So the reason I point that out is you'll, you only have to look over your shoulder at the cattle market to see what happened to a year's worth of gain evaporate in a couple of months. It's just not unusual for markets, to, you know, good looking holding fundamental markets to give it up. But I would probably stress more strategy. If you're if you're in doubt, sell cash. If you want to stay on board, I would look at a call option or what we call a bull call spread. Now you've got your risk quantified all the way around and you've got your cash flow, which is important when you think about either paying interest or earning interest. In terms of the corn market right now, I know March corn, we're back up near that 50-day moving average. Uh, the close Thursday right at that 488 mark. Um, and I know, too, on the corn side, thinking about South America, Brazil's interior corn price, uh, I've seen that continue to rise. And maybe that shifts a little more corn demand to the U.S. I don't know. But obviously, that's another piece of this puzzle. Uh, same thoughts in, in corn. Should we be looking at these rallies? What are you seeing on the charts, on the cash side? Talk to me a little bit about what you're seeing in the corn market right now, Brian. Yeah, so so, so fundamentally, this is what we believe we see. And we believe we see that farmers are holding more corn in their bins relative to soybeans. Soybean offered good prices longer than corn did. And, and I think farmers would rather store corn. They'd rather sell bean, move beans and 
et cetera. So I think farmers have less beans on hand relative to corn. It's a year where farmers, and it's, it's just the way it developed. And I'll just run through the steps real quick. Big inversion market, a lot of dollars received for the old crop last winter. I think farmers were great at selling the old crop and taking advantage of those high prices. But that inverted market and then the dry weather pattern that was developing, there just wasn't much incentive to sell. And then when the market did rally in late June, remember it rallied quickly and evaporated even quicker. So you had to go from super bull to super bear in a couple of days. And so it just didn't, it just didn't create the right environment for farmers to sell a lot. So anyway, the point of it is, if you've got more inventory or excess inventory, be productive uh, or be proactive, I should say, on any price rallies and keep trickling some out. I'm not worried that corn's going to fall out of bed, but I'm worried that farmers are going to store a lot of corn for potentially a lot of time and find out it's been a zero-sum game and actually cost some money to do that. On the wheat market here, we've obviously seen uh, a couple days in a row of SRW wheat sales to China, and there's more rumors out there China could buy more. And that's, you know, largely, I, I think, helped this wheat market rally here the last couple of sessions. Chicago kind of leading the way. Your thoughts in this wheat market right now and just some of this uh, this rally that we've seen the last few sessions, Brian? Well, when China, when China buys U.S. wheat, the market sort of, pays a lot of attention <laughs> because we, we we often in the U.S. seem to be the last go-to country. Um, Australia with El Nino has had problems. China, real problems with too much rain and quality issues during the harvest season. So it's been, it's been a real good source for China to come in, scoop up product. It's been good for our market. It's pushed the market upward. I think the uncertainty between Ukraine and Russia is as great as ever. Um, and whether or not you know Russia can continue to fill the needs. I'm not a super bull on wheat, but I am encouraged that the market has some strength under it. But this rally probably should be met with some cash sales, either old or new or both uh, crops. And two, one thought I want to ask you about the grain trade here is we get into the final month of the year. Uh, a lot of fun money moving around in general, and just to you know, before the holidays, uh, volatility could be seen in this market. Uh, any thoughts, just risk management, as we watch some of the fund positioning here in the grains before the end of the year, Brian? Yeah, good question. So, if I'm an end user, I'm probably watching that a little more closely than I am a farmer because the funds have been short. Than a corn producer, the funds have been short for so long, with heavy positions that if they start heading for the exit gates to balance books or take profits or whatever somebody might want to believe they're doing, uh, you could see quite a bit of buying. That's what I call unintended. And what, what that means is, you know, buy stops are placed above the market. The market starts to go up and it starts to trip orders. Those are buys that the sellers didn't really want to have happen, but it's a way to protect their, their profits, if, if that makes sense. So they sold higher. And, and the market went down, they made money, and they're locking it in when the market starts to show some strength. So you could get that quick unintended buy. And that's, that's always the challenge for end users when there's a big short position buildup because the hedge money or the fund money or managed money, however you want to call it, is in their favor. But at some point that changes or can change. And so I'd be more concerned if I'm an end user uh, than not. Um, I think what I would continue to watch 
yeah, I'm going to start with soybeans is to see where the funds start putting their money here after the stocks or after the USG report tomorrow. And I think they put their money on where the weather appears that it's going to be in South America. We know the crop is probably going to be smaller. Now it's just a matter of how far it could get downgraded if conditions don't really, when I say really, really show improvement. There's There's been recent rains and, and it's a big country and they're going to have a good crop, but are they going to have a great crop? Or is it going to be a big, mediocre crop? All of a sudden, you might see that export market uh, find a, quite a few more buyers and more urgency to buy. All right, that's Brian Doherty with Total Farm Marketing. We'll continue our conversation with him coming up after the break here on Market Talk. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. We are talking today with Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor at Total Farm Marketing. Brian, uh, let's go over to livestock trade. Uh, cattle, hogs, dairy, uh, a lot of red I saw on the screen in all three on the day. Um, especially this cattle trade, I, I know a lot of folks are trying to make sense of what's happening on the futures uh, at the CME right now. Just a lot of volatility and most of it's to the downside. Any thoughts for you as you look at the charts look at technical damage we've done uh, it just can't seem to find our footing here in this cattle market right now well the technical damage has been severe and something we've talked about for several months as the market moves higher you know get your puts underneath because when it tips over it can be violent and here it is it's tipped over and violent i often talk about what takes the market x periods of time to go up it can go down in about a third to a fourth of that. So if it took 10 months to go up, it can take two months to lose at least half, if not more than half. And here we are, cattle futures trading, we're basically back down to where they were a year ago on most contracts, giving away all of the futures gains. Um, as a market goes higher, what often happens is you don't see it initially, but what happens is like today, we see an export sales number that's just dismal. So, mm -hmm. so, so as the market goes higher, those little demand things start to pick away at the market and none of it kind of just jumps out at the market. The market's focusing on the fundamental factors, tight supply, low cattle herd, smallest herd in 40 years, et cetera. But once it tips over, it gets really challenging. We're kind of getting into no person's territory right here because at these prices, we should be generating the, the bigger picture should now generate demand. Um, and maybe very active demand. The question is, is whether or not it's going to come in quick enough to rescue the market. And when I say that, this is only one segment of the population, but if you were a, a person looking at your uh, stock portfolio 401k here several months ago, you're kind of down and out. All of a sudden, Dow's at the high for the year. I think people will spend money, but what's catching up to the market is those who are incurring credit card card debt, interest payments, all of those things put a reset into where the equilibrium price should be for cattle prices. On top of that, when prices were higher, I think, and I'll give just a brief example of what I feel goes on in an industry is, let's say, I'm, I'm just going to make something up. You have a TV dinner and you have a little six ounce piece of patty of meat in there and the manufacturer now creates a five ounce piece 
you know, you really don't, as a consumer, notice the difference much, if at all. But that's one sixth. And um, that's 16.7%. So all of a sudden you add that up by tens of thousands or millions of TV dinners, as an example, that's how demand can sort of siphon out of the marketplace. Um, chain speed is slowed. Packers have been losing money on the way up, supposedly. And this all catapults into this big downturn. But now this this gets, I think, the market a good fresh reset. And it really needed a correction to spur demand. And I think we're in a demand spurring correction right now. If I'm a cattle producer, a hog producer, if I'm a dairy farmer, I think I could put all those folks together here as we near the end of the year. I feel like uh, need to maybe be cautious and, and manage your risk as best as you can here before we near the end of the year across the entire protein complex, Brian. I think you do. I think you just have to, the trend is down in all three. I think you need to be with a defensive mindset and posture. I think you need to you know, basically ante up if you're going to defend this market, you know, step up and defend the hope strategy can only work for so long in downtrends. Um, so if you miss the beginning or even the middle, recognize that there might be, you know, another half ahead of this. Now, I'm not that bearish on anything, but we, yet, if you had asked me six weeks ago if I thought prices could be where they are today, I, I would have doubted my answer. Or would have done right. where the market is today. Yeah. 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 No. And I, I agree with you. I think a lot of us have been caught uh, a little off guard with uh, some of this volatility here, especially in cattle. Let's wrap it up today. Uh, put a bow on things. Final thoughts from you. Anything you would uh, say or reiterate to folks listening in here today? I think uh, let's just reiterate that uh, in the grain markets, uh, particularly corn, big carryout number, that'll ref be reflected tomorrow. Uh, utilize rallies to keep dishing corn out, recognize the carry in the market, and that you could, if you're going to store corn longer term, you could sell into that carry or hedge to arrive into that, hedge the board. Um, so kind of keep that in mind. And soybeans, watch the southern hemisphere weather carefully. If the market doesn't percolate up on that pretty soon or, or we start to see that you know, forecast look pretty conducive, recognize that the, the world's probably not going to chase soybeans when all else around it seems to be falling apart. Uh, wheat's had a good rally. Probably look a little defensively at that market there. there. I mean, there's good cause to be friendly, but I wouldn't be over my skis on that market. The fund money just isn't there buying. I'd stay defensive on livestock and milk. Brian, if farmers and ranchers have market questions and they want to reach out to you at Total Farm Marketing, I know a phone call, email, your website, all great ways to get in touch. How can they reach you, Brian? Best way is phone call 800-334-9779. Then I would ask that you shoot me an email, Brian with a Y at totalfarmmarketing.com. And then lastly, Jesse, just check out our website, totalfarmmarketing.com. Got a lot of great resources there, excuse me, and ways to communicate with us. Brian, always appreciate the time and the knowledge. Thanks for joining us on Market Talk. And I know we will talk to you again soon. Have a great weekend. Thanks so much. You bet. My pleasure. Thank you. And good stuff as always there with Brian Doherty from Total Farm Marketing. Couple closes real quick. March cord was up three and three quarters, four eighty-eight on Thursday. January beans up sixteen and a quarter, thirteen eleven and three quarters. March Chicago wheat up eight and three quarters, six forty-two and a quarter. March Kansas City wheat up eleven and a half, six sixty-seven and a half. March spring wheat up six and three quarters, seven thirty-seven and a quarter. Live cattle for December down 110, 162.35. February down 102, 162.52. 
Feeder cattle January up 12, 210, 27. March feeders down 57, 211, 17. December hogs were unchanged at 67.55. February hogs down 152, 67, 77. Again, USDA releases the December WASDE report on Friday morning. Coming up on our next program, we'll talk with Dwayne Bussey from Bolt Marketing. Have a great one. I'm Jesse Allen. Thanks for listening to Market Talk. Your local FS is member-owned, and that means when you buy our flagship brands like FS Envision and FS High Soy, you're actually buying seed from yourself. And you wouldn't sell yourself anything but the best, would you? In field after field, FS brands are out yielding the competition. Talk to your local FS crop specialist about Envision corn or High Soy soybean seed today. At harvest, you'll be glad you did. Envision and High Soy are available exclusively at your local FS member company. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube.